0: So, achievements and accomplishments, typically left on their own when we share them, particularly out of the blue, they have uh, an infectious nature to them. Uh, they perpetuate the disease of comparison. Hey, okay, I did this, did you do that? And a lot of times when we share that right away, that's what we're doing, We've, unconsciously or sometimes consciously. Now, achievements and accomplishments can be celebrated in those mutually reciprocating, natural rapport, I got your back, you got my back relationships. Uh, those relationships, in particular, tend to be one in which we're on a journey together. So there's a sense that that Greg's accomplishment is my accomplishment. And there's a greater sense that I know Greg's journey and what he had to travel through in order to be the Sharp Employee of the Year Award in 2016. Which was a big deal. It's a really big deal, it's sharp. Yeah, it's a big deal. Um, and, and, and I think understanding the obstacles as well as some of the failings help create that rapport in our lives. Uh, when it comes to death and vulnerability in churches, there are a lot of deterrents in terms of understanding like our own brokenness, which is the topic today. Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, and it was broken. And that's what today's about, is our brokenness. Fun topic. Brokenness, I don't have a definition for it, but whatever the widest definition you think it could be, it's going to be that. It's our sins. Uh, it's our inactions, it's our addictions, it's our failings, it's our wounds we receive to others, it's our uh, omissions, um, it's traumas that we've had, it's our generational patterns. Whatever brokenness, whatever you want to put in the category, which just seems like God, needs God's healing, we're going to lump it in that category. We're not going to spend a lot of time unpacking that, but rather talk about brokenness from a broad struct, uh, construct, because I think the nitty-gritty happens in community, the specificity really happens. Uh, but there are some deterrents to death and vulnerability where we can share our brokenness. And you, you've seen it from the outside where there's in cultures where it's not modeled, or it's not welcome, or it's shamed. I don't think that's like our church for, like, so I don't need to like talk about that. I think the two deterrents that I can think of this week for our church are, uh, I can't define them, but I can give caricatures of them. One would be, uh, the how's it going, bro guy? And let me just perform a little bit. It's this guy. How's it going, bro? Pretty good? No. How's it really going? How's your heart? There's like a rasp of the voice. My heart's beating? Doing pretty good? No, man. How are you doing? You know what I'm talking about. How's life? How's it going? And um, part of the potential paternalism of that, I don't have a female counterpart, and I'm not going to even try one. But uh, it's the how's it going, bro? Who wants to somehow, and I can't find a better word for this, but probe you in your life. I looked up a thorough, and this is the best word, like investigate your life. It's it's a person who wants to know how hard your life is. Um and somehow you feel like it's not okay just to be okay. Um we can't connect unless it's over gaping wounds, like relational distances, or sexual wounds, etc. And I don't want to judge my boy, how's it going, bro, too harshly, because my boy is looking to connect. I have a friend like this in my life. And there are times that it's really good to connect, and there are those times where it's really disorienting. Disorienting. It's like, uh, I'm just hanging out here. Um, and when we have these conversations out of nowhere, it can be disorienting. I don't think how's it going, bro? is much happening here. I think the other deterrent was the pendulations from the other side may or may not be happening because it happens everywhere. And that's what I call for might news, happy chatter. Happy chatter in the church. Uh, this is where we kind of talk about our day and move from conversation to conversations. They kind of remain on the surface level, and I haven't bugged anybody's conversations in general, uh, but it tends to happen where you're in orbit. You you don't ask the question, how I can be praying for you, or what do you think the Lord's up to? You're just kind of staying up here. And I don't want to judge happy chatter either, because actually happy chatter is needed for two reasons. One, just to learn one another, you need to have some happy chatter. Like, what's your world look like? That makes sense. How to get to the place where you can trust one another, happy chatter is necessary Two, happy chatter is a gift because for so many of us, I'm not singling anybody out, but I may be singling all of us out, we're really tired. It's ironic how tiring this season is. I've never felt as tired in Christmas season, and I haven't been too busy, I don't think. Um, but there's something about life and happy chatter that helps even just ground ourselves. Oh, this is what's happening in my life. And then when we ground ourselves, we can begin to move from happy chatter into an excavating what God's up to getting beneath the surface. They can move from how's your day to, hey, what are you sensing from the Lord? And that's really the call of the church. Our call is not to force vulnerability. Our call is not to stay on the surface. Our call is to excavate what God's doing in our lives and around our lives. And um, really to discern where God is residing. And if Christmas teaches us anything, Christmas teaches us that it's brokenness where God dwells. That God dwells in the brokenness of our world and in the brokenness of our lives. That Jesus was born into a dark and difficult world. And uh, the first Christmas Eve was dark and very difficult, probably more than we realize. And this is where I'm going to upset a few more constructs of us. When we picture Christmas Eve, we we picture a barn and a wooden manger we picture three wise kings, three we three kings, and we picture shepherds in this really beautiful scene. Well, I'm just going to upset some contrasts. Uh, and I'm sorry to do this, but we're entering into brokenness. First, the magi, they, they almost certainly visited months after, afterwards. In fact, it was the star that night, which then led them there. And there wasn't three kings. We don't, maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. There was three gifts. So, like, now I'm just really just pushing your nativity set down. Yeah shepherds, shepherds, we talked about this last week, shepherds were and are a really lowly occupation. It'd be like being, there's no modern example, but I'll try it. It'd be like being in the delivery room and uh, like the janitorial staff came in and was like trying to get near you and your kid and then they they didn't scrub up and there's nothing, I don't have a shot against janitors at all. In fact, it's one of the many hats I wear, it's one of the hats that that volunteers wear, but I'm saying that because we have an idea in our mind what that is, and so did God. And it's actually wildly important to know that God provided them community in that moment. We'll talk about that later. Um, yeah, so there's that. Now let's talk about the inn. In fact, even Kelsey read the inn. She said the inn, but you notice the passage didn't do that. I'm glad you did that, because the passage said there was no guest room available for them. Um, it's not an inn. There, there was an in. The only other word for inn in Luke's Gospel is in the parable of the Good Samaritan, where he, he tells a story about him taking to an inn and having someone take care of him. That's not the same word they use in Luke's Gospel. It's the word they use for the upper room, which is an extra room and an extended house. It's an extra room available. And I'm just going to read this. Uh, Northern Europeans automatically picture a roof stable and a major made of wood. Ancient Middle Eastern would naturally think of a cave that was used for shelter. It's like inside the earth. And the animals were, were they fed from limestone troughs. It's like, so, but the big thing is why the guest room, which is a recent edit, I believe, among scholars, they changed it to guest room. Um, The guest room is part of an extended family's home. So Joseph and Mary are going to Bethlehem because the census is being taken because the governor wants to know how big he is because of the numbers. And they go, and they have to relocate from Nazareth, which they probably relocated there because of the building boom that happened at that time. They had to go back to Bethlehem, and that's, that's uh, 100 miles away. And they are looking for a place to stay with their extended family, but their extended family won't let them be in their home. They give them the cattle side of their home. They won't put them out in the cold in the dark, but they won't let them be in the house. And why is that? because it's a pregnancy out of wedlock. Even that night, picture it. They're, you can hear, they're probably hearing the cries and the baby come out, but no family's going there because Joseph has brought shame on the family by being married to a woman who's already pregnant. They don't know what we know. They don't have the backstory. This is what's going on. So God sends the shepherds there to bring community. That's my sense of it, part of it. And yeah, it's a beautiful, horrible scene. Um, in a patriarchal society, shame directed to Mary would have been directed to Joseph and his family, which is why he, quote, should have divorced her. There's so much shame going on in that moment. They're being relegated in the corner of a house that doesn't have access to others, where animals are in a cave, not out in the open. There's screams going on. No one's going to come out, because here's another thing that may be happening. Childbirth was the greatest cause of female death at that time, which makes sense, and baby's out, childbirth. So they might have been thinking, like, okay, this is the moment, God, where you're going to enact your justice by taking, hopefully, baby out and mom. That could or could not be happening, but no one's coming to help out a screaming woman who's having a baby. And I'm not saying they're screaming, but I've been in the room four times. <laughs> and it's not easy-peasy. Um, so... But I think there's a lot in the story that can help us understanding how we move toward brokenness. And just being aware of that story that's helpful for us. And that's the question I want to ask as we think of the reality that God dwells in the brokenness, both in our world and our lives, but then how do we begin to move to our brokenness so that we can live into the greater calling of being community to excavate what God is up to because God was God in the brokenness. How do we begin to move towards our brokenness? Without being the, how's it going, bruh? Or getting relegated to happy chatter. Um, and the first point is this. We, I like to put W period D period because we're water's edge. Just want to let you know, Jason and it's So you like that? You like that? There's like a lot of cool things about it, but it's one that you know. They hate hearing about it, but I do it all the time. Grammatically, it's incorrect, but I still like it. We constantly place our brokenness under God's bright blessing. Like, the way we begin to move towards our own brokenness is actually to bring it under God's great blessing. What do you even mean by this? Backstory, and then we'll get there. How can we... It's crazy, right? Nuts. There's there's blessing on top of our brokenness? Well, in the case of Mary and Joseph, uh, there was. Um, we know from the first chapter of Luke, that there was an annunciation, an announcement, and Mary, in verse 29, was greatly troubled at his words. This is the angel's words. And what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, you have found favor with God. He will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. This is totally new. There's been amazing miracles. I I don't recall a miracle like this in the Old Testament. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. It's the backstory. This is a bright blessing on a lot of brokenness. But this moment right here, this pause—sometimes I've found out we don't have more details in Scripture because they wrote differently than we did, because they had parchment. The idea of like fiction and all that's like a new construct and last Melanie. Anyway, I don't know how long this moment would have been of Mary just thinking about this and receiving this, considering all the implications of what this meant. The pain and the joy. But finally, verse 38 says, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be, and the word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So this is the bright blessing that we're experiencing, that we see, right? Then you have Matthew's scenario, verse 18, where it describes Joseph's life. This is Jesus, this is how Jesus Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. If he divorced in secret, she would likely not be stoned. That's how he's a good dude in in his own way, you know? And then he's considered this an angel of the Lord. He's discerning all these things. Oh my gosh, his life is come apart in many ways. An angel of the Lord appeared to him. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, which means the Lord saves, for he will save people from their sins. So both of these accounts really reflect on the brokenness that Mary and Joseph were walking into, the social implications, because they were the only and privy to what God is doing behind the scenes. Um, They were entering into a world who would likely not understand what was going to happen. And in the end, they chose this difficult scenario and were hoping that God's bright blessing would work on it over time. And it it did, but it took decades. It took a long time. In fact, Joseph even died before he got to see the bright blessing of his brokenness, which is wild. And, And when you and I experience brokenness, our, our first intuition, in my opinion, humbly, is that we, we want to curse it and curse ourselves. Well, there's something wrong with us or something wrong with me that I was victimized this way or something wrong with me because I keep doing this. Um, and, and when we curse ourselves, we, we allow the brokenness to carry on. That's, that's the one thing that happens in our power. But the call truly is to bring that brokenness into the light which is right, and the heat does sting at first. It really does. But it allows God a great physician to do the work that I only got to do. It allows God, who knows you are worth dying for, to say, oh, you've given to me? This is going to be a great area of redemption in life. You just wait and see. When we bring our brokenness to the light, God says, oh, in my opinion, God's going to redeem it." in whatever time it takes. Because what we know with the maker is there's nothing beyond the maker's repair. Nothing. Nothing. And Christmas reminds us that God's so involved in our repair that he comes to us in our brokenness. Sexuality continues to be one of the most painfully experienced areas of brokenness in our lives. That's what this is revolving around this about sexuality. Um, sexuality is an area where you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who doesn't have some form of brokenness when it comes to sexuality. And the continuum is is almost as wide as it gets. Um, Sexuality, which comes from the Latin word saccare, to be connecting, it it actually reveals our yearning uh, for communion. For communion. Our bodies, which are, are constantly being marketed to or Knowingly or unknowingly marketed for our yearning for a healing touch, for a holy embrace. Holy embrace. It's just an area for us to discuss and think about because it's an area that Mary and Joseph had to work through. Now, um, uncoincidentally, this week a pop up came up on YouTube for me and uh, it was clickbait. You know what clickbait is? It's like you click to do something. It came up and it was like some, and it said some screen, it said something like uh, most paused moments in movies and it had like a, like a tempting moment, right? And I saw it and I was around my kids, and I was like, it was just really disorienting because I just was like doing something with my daughter and it came up on my computer and I was like, okay, I got out of it. So then I go work at Pete the next day, same pop-up came up, same pop-up. And, and it was tempting to me. It was really tempting. I was like, whoa. Tempted to me, and uh, so what did I do? What am I doing? Well, I texted my boy, and I said, hey, I just need a name, there's an online ad that keeps making me want to click. It, it's clickbait, haven't it done it, tempted to, just name it that, parentheses, lust. His response was, good man, way to steer clear, I know exactly what you're talking about, very tempting, but will never satisfy. Andy, good to remember. And that that's not like a, I don't need to talk anymore about it. What I need to say is in that moment, I felt really seen in love. Even in my brokenness like that, I was like, okay, my buddy's seeing me. What I'm looking for is just being seen in my imperfection. It's like, I just had a name of them and I felt seen. And I actually had fear naming that with you here. I was like, oh, no, I have to. But actually, sexuality is an area of my life that has been under God's blessing. Because of what I just did and what I'm free to do now. It's an area where I feel free to be myself, donkey as it is, free to be with God, loving the Lord, free to be connected with my wife, there's blessing and free to shepherd you all, men and women. Sure all. So it's an area that, yeah, I believe is under God's blessing. That was a deep area of focus in my life. All right. Henry Nellon, and then I'll write the joy candle. He writes this. You guys know I love me some Nellon. You remember them? Uh... He writes that joy can exist in the midst of the pain because there's joy in being disciplined if you have sinned, purified as you allow God to make you well, and pruned in order that you may not be tempted to sin. And with that definition of joy, I am just going to light the joy candle today. Yeah, it's kind of a long first point, but what I would trying to say is like, <laughs> <laughs> with, with uh, healthy boundaries and ongoing accountability and support those areas where we've experienced wounding and by the way, if you wounded others you have wounded yourself that's just the way it goes, when you sin you are hurting yourself, we are when we have addiction sounds, we're just hurting ourselves with ongoing healthy boundaries uh, a season of sobriety even and support as you continue on, you will certainly be a healing agent to others. And that falls under God's bright blessing as well. So how do we begin to move towards our brokenness with freedom and without shame? We constantly place our brokenness under God's bright blessing. So I have a brokenness in my life. God, I'm going to put it out here and put it in your bright blessing right there. It's going to be right there. Trusting that you will redeem it over time and bless it right now. The second thing we want to do, and this is more personal, and uh, it's really kind in my opinion, that we calmly befriend our brokenness. The bright blessing to feel like, all right, God, this is all your work. This, this point's kind of our part, that we calmly befriend our brokenness. How did you discern that from the scriptures? It says in Luke 2, verse 6-7, And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. This next make sure I say it right. In the case of Mary and Joseph, they're not befriending a broken Jesus. It's the case of Jesus coming to this earth lowly and unassuming that befriends us and befriends our brokenness. And if God can befriend our brokenness, why can't we? Do you know why God befriends our brokenness? Because he's befriending you. He wants to befriend you. God befriends our brokenness in order to befriend us. Uh, this means that we actually need to envision the table right here and that we need to welcome our brokenness to the table. Again, uh, brother lust, have a seat at the table and bring your companion, brother acceptance, because that's what I know you're trying to bring with you. Oh, anger's here? Uh, please bring your companion, brother really tired, brother feeling out of control, sister just feeling crazy. Uh, bring that was not a statement about men and women and all that I just want to make sure I'm bringing men and women to the table who else do I need to bring to the table lately uh, Lust. oh greed greed sister security come have a seat knowing you're taking care of uh, have a seat at the table and then I think when we think about like befriending our brokenness we can raise the eyebrow I read Kevin Arnold from the one years how good he can raise his eyebrow anybody no do you remember that? Yeah. The eyebrow raise. We think like, hey, are we trying to excuse our sins? To what I say? Nay. No, no, we're not. We're just trying to welcome all of us into the table to see what we're truly looking for. In order to freely give what is hurting us back to God and ask God for what we're needing from God. Come to the table of fellowship. I think the temptation a lot with our brokenness, if it's not to curse ourselves, it's to run away from it. But no, welcome it. Okay, lust, you're here. What's going on? What kinds of? Okay, oh, I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling unseen. Uh, greed. You're here. Okay. What's going on with that? Oh, I feel like I'm feeling out of control. End of the year. Blah, blah, blah. And, and here's the deal. This is like really deep stuff that I'm truly trying to figure out myself. But our brokenness really reveals something about who we are. The way that I'm broken tells you something unique about me. It's always a lived experience. It's highly personal. It's intimate and unique. And and suffering comes in many forms. No need to compare. Physical ailments, mental disabilities, economic depravity, poverty, relational distance, rejection, be ignored, despised, left alone. The list goes on and on and on. But each person suffers in their own way. Each person does. It's truly our own. Our suffering is our own. It's no one else's. And I, I, I'm going to read a quote from now, and he says this: that our brokenness is truly ours, nobody else's. It's as unique as our chosenness and blessedness. There's a way in which we are broken as much expression of our individuality as the way that we are taken and blessed. And I think a good read that would coincide with the series is Life of the Beloved, where he talks about this idea of being taken and blessed, broken and given. I'll read a quote from our very own Bridget that she wanted me to share with you all this week. Um, Bridget is such a sweet friend and a beacon of hope for a lot of us. She wrote this in 2016, and it was published in Bella Grace. And she said this, I don't desire brokenness, nor do I long to create it for others or myself. Certainly the opposite is true. I long for a life of wholeness, a life that feels complete. But brokenness is an inevitable part of life, the failings and the flaws of imperfect people living in an imperfect world, all battling against the wearing effects of time. It's easy to look away from brokenness and pretend it's not there. But every now and again, on particularly brave days, I find the strength to stay with the brokenness and really look at it. I find that brokenness travels with some inspiring friends, such as courage, forgiveness, healing, and renewal. At first glance, brokenness may look ugly. But if we have the strength to stay with it, we learn that brokenness is trying to tell a story. And under that ugly exterior lies a beautiful past. I do not fear brokenness. Beauty lives there too. When we claim our unique brokenness, we're able to claim our unique chosenness. You can't have one without the other. It's truly true. And each person lives with their own broken heart. So may we befriend our own brokenness so that we can be free to befriend one another. How do we begin to move towards our brokenness? So, the third point. The first one is we constantly praise our brokenness under God's right blessing, trusting God will redeem us in God's timing. We calmly befriend our own brokenness. The last thing we need to do is hate ourselves. And the second and last thing we need to do is hate ourselves about hating ourselves. And thirdly, we compassionately Allow our brokenness to bind us together. To let it be the thing that unifies us. Unifies us. Uh, We compassion allow our brokenness to bind us together. And then my my scripture is basically the rest of the Bible, like the rest of the New Testament. That's like it's the shepherds, lowly occupation. It's an old man in a window who's forgetting by the temple. It's these refugees in Egypt hanging together. It's religious leaders and Jesus' own parents. It's a small blue town in Nazareth. It's an unseen town of Galilee. It's the world of Acts. It's Christ's the church. It's the affect of Christmas. In the case of Mary and Joseph, Joseph died and was likely buried by his sons. In fact, they, they think there's a tomb there uh, of their home in Nazareth where the sons had to build their father's tomb. There was a tomb for an upright and just man, the same scripture we see in Matthew 1. And Mary had to ponder all these things, that the implications of the brokenness as she watched her son walk away the, the cross. They lived a hard life of brokenness, but it was a reminder for them just as a reminder for us of what truly binds us together. What truly unifies us is our brokenness because it speaks to our need for God. Like Mary. Mary and Daniel Adams. Moms of twins. like They have a lot in common. Husbands, annoyingly good-looking, both play pickleball, they have a lot in common. You know what you think about it? Though they have a lot in common, what binds Mary and Daniel together, more than anything, is actually their brokenness. It's crazy to think about it. Greg and I, both devilishly good-looking guys, <laughs> we have a lot going on for us, but what actually binds me and Greg together is our brokenness. My brokenness binds me together more with somebody completely different from me. Than it does with the similarities of being right Like it's it's brokenness is what makes us really need God. It's it recognizes our need for God, and I think we need to remember that because Christmas is such a wonderful time of year, but it's also a time where people feel abnormally depressed and suicide rates increase a lot during the season uh, because there's so many desires of what we're wanting, and then when we realize. They aren't fulfilled because we live in a broken world. People can feel really, really down, and they need a loving community who knows their own propensity for focus to hold one another. Now, I would be remiss to say this. It'd be really fun and cuddly for me to end right there. You'd be like, okay, but there's a part in this that we all have to play, and our part is bringing our brokenness to the life. If I just said, hey, let's just hold each other because we're broken. We feel real good and then we probably end up in happy chatting. But that is not the call. The call is to to allow our wounds to be revealed so that the Maker can heal. I wish it were not Allowed our wounds to be revealed so they can be healed. That's that's how that's the action that we have to practice confession with one another. And the good news is we get to do it today. How awesome is that. Yes. I love that. Yeah, that we get to practice confession today. And I think a lot of times we can, we can go into the whole sovereignty of God thing. Well, if God already forgives me, like, do I really need to confess? Like, God's going to forgive me, or can I just do it with God and not with others? Why are we asking that question, you know? Why are we asking that question? I don't know. There's a lot of reasons people have been hurt. They feel like they will be hurt. Um, that's a good reason to ask that question. But I will say this. And this is a dangerous territory, but I'll say it this way. I think sometimes we slow the work of healing by not practicing confession with God's imperfect body. I think we do. It's a work for me, it's a work for us. I think you and I slowly the healing work of God if we're afraid to practice confession and bring under our brokenness under God's right blessing. Yeah. The more in touch we are with our brokenness, the more in touch we will be with God's future glory for us, and the more present we will be to communion with one It's just true. That's really what the gift of the bread and wine represents. In fact, it was this cup that replaced the cup of redemption in the Passover. That's like, no, God, this is the cup of forgiveness. And why Paul says, hey, we often examine ourselves before coming to it, but we trust by taking this cup that God has forgiven us, and that He sees us fully as we are, His children. No blame, no shame, no condemnation. But we can participate in the healing if we confess with one another. I'm just saying it. Amen? So here is the next step that hopefully we have some space for right now. That we'll practice confession with one another. And I want to give some helpful guide rules um, just so we have it. So practice confession with one another. This means that we plainly share for ourselves hey God, I want to surrender whatever it is to you. Plainly means, um, oh, I might have messed this up. Oh yeah, there it is. We share with someone our sins, struggles, addictions, failings, unfaithfulness. Hey, I struggle with fill in the blank, whatever it is. And plainly means you don't need to caveat it, you don't need to qualify it, you don't need to excuse it. Well, I did it because, you know, life was hard or whatever, you know, like you my wife was blah blah, 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 like my husband Blah blah, like because I blah blah blah. Uh, no backstories, well if you understand what my dad and I mean, you know yeah. no blaming others. You just say, hey, I struggle with this. In community. I struggle with I mean I shared someone again. uh lust, confession, or plus, security, greed, um anger, a lot of anger. I struggle with anger. Particularly when, yeah. I struggle with anger and I'm just really tired and people need stuff from me. It's a thing. Okay. And then as you hear it, as somebody confesses with you in community, this is the next slide. We plainly pray for one another. Hey God, we surrender this anger to you. And as you as you pray that for the person who shares that with you, and they get to do you, you get they get to do the outside of it. Plainly means no advice, no shaming, no excusing. No comparing or relating. Oh, me too. Blah, blah. Swapping stories. It's just like, here we start with that, okay? This is how we're going to enter in, by plainly confessing with one another. Amen? And I hope there's more room for more conversations, but I think it begins here. Okay, so, uh, I'm not going to, Luis, you get to hang in. I'm not going to have you play right now. I want you to participate, okay? I was thinking about having you on the cello because we love it, but we'll just have space for us to talk. And then in due time, the band will come up in about five minutes. Let me pray for us. Lord. Yeah, we confess to you that we are, um, still needing you. <laughs> I need, I need your sacrificial life on my, on my behalf. I need you dying so that I can be healed. Um, thank you that you, you see me worth dying for. Thank you, you see everybody here worth dying for. Um, uh, Lord, thank you that there's beauty uh, when we initiate uh, our struggles. There's so much beauty there. And that I pray that each person here would be a welcoming community, that they would not judge, that they would in, in any way see themselves in the person that they're listening to. And they would see you Lord Jesus. Uh, the king of kings, who is willing to enter into brokenness, willing to be mocked and ridiculed, even before the cross, that you're willing to be a quote-unquote, a single quote, son of shame, a bastard child. So, Lord, we thank you um, for that day that you came. We thank you for the day that you died. We thank you for the day you rose. And would you occupy our conversation with the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.